Hey, today we are looking at the worship of heaven. Brilliant. We're excited about that. We're in Revelation uh, 4, and we're going to be dipping into Revelation 4 and 5. So if you have a Bible, uh, please do turn to it. And over these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different dimensions of worship. But today we are starting with worship is wonder. Uh, Really, my prayer today is that wonder would be reawakened in us as we look at the worship of heaven. So Revelation 4, 1 through to 11. This is the vision of uh, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like, this is where it gets a little bit Harry Potter-like, by the way. Uh, The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Today, I want to talk to you about the wonder of worship. You are created to worship. Uh, Mark Twain famously said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day that you find out why. You were born to worship. We have been created to worship and to bring glory to God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism It asks the question, what is the chief end of humankind? The answer is this. The chief end of humankind is to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. We are hardwired as human beings to worship. Everyone worships. Christians worship. Buddhists worship. Sikhs worship. Hindus worship. Muslims worship atheists worship. The question is not whether you worship. The question is what will you worship? Or perhaps most importantly, who will you worship? Who will you worship? It's that time of year again, isn't it? It's one of my favorite times of year. 
SW19 is uh, in the spotlight. Strawberries and cream, center court, new balls, please. And uh, it's Pim's o'clock for everyone, and I love it. Wimbledon is well underway. And Emily and I, we had the privilege of uh, going this week. Uh, birthday ballot tickets that were rolled over uh, from pre-pandemic 2020. And uh, on Wednesday, as we walked in through the gates uh, late in the morning, uh, almost immediately, just as we got in through the gates, I saw all these people start running. And of course, it's what you do, isn't it, when you're in that kind of event. I started running as well. And, and I realized, I didn't really know where I was running to, but all these people seemed so excited to see someone. And you can see there, they were, they were gathering, they had their hands in the air, they were shouting, they were waving, and they were cheering. And as I, as I got a bit closer, and I actually wanted to be a lot closer than I was, but as I got closer, I realized that it was Novak Djokovic. There he was in the flesh, the champion, the number one seed, and everyone was clambering to just catch a glimpse, maybe get a photograph or an autograph, some connection with greatness and his glory. I, like the rest of them, were completely excited. Emily didn't seem too bothered, to be honest. But we all worship someone. Here in this passage, John, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, he gets a glimpse, not into the practice courts of Wimbledon, but into the courts of heaven, the very throne room of the King of Kings, the champion, the number one. And he glimpses into eternity, and he's given this fresh revelation of who God is. That's what worship is. Worship has been described as our response to a revelation. And that revelation leads us to wonder. True worship starts with wonder. It starts with seeing him. Not with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of our hearts. The Apostle Paul he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. And really, that's my prayer today for us as a church as we dive into this passage, that the eyes of our hearts, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, would be enlightened again, that we might wonder again at who he is, what he's done for us, his majesty, his worth, his forgiveness, his kindness, his beauty, his mercy, his love. Someone described worship as our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. Worship is the human response to the divine initiative. Worship is about our spirit being ignited by divine fire. And if we want to learn more about worship as a church, as individuals, as a community, a great place to start is with the worship of heaven. That's our blueprint. That's our gold standard. And if you're here today thinking, why on earth are we looking at this? We really need to get used to it because we are going to be spending eternity in the context of the worship of heaven. We may feel like our lives here are a long time, but it is just 
a snapshot compared to the whole of eternity. So here in, uh, in Revelation 4, John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. What do we see? What do we notice about the worship of heaven? Well, first of all, it's inclusive. It says that there's a door open. It's invitational. The voice says, come up here. This is an invitation to each one of us. It's spiritual. John says, at once I was in the Spirit. It's an experience of the Spirit. The Bible says that the the Father seeks worshipers who will seek him in spirit and in truth. This is spirit-touching Spirit. And let's just check out the setting. I mean, forget Glastonbury Pyramid Stage or the O2 or the Royal Albert Hall. What we see here, there's, there's a rainbow. Actually, in the, in the text here, this is a, this is a kind of a, a reminder of the covenantal promise to the people of God right at the beginning of Genesis when the rainbow appears, holding back God's wrath. The beautiful rainbow. There's Uh, lightning and thunder. I mean, this is the serious sound and light show. This recalls the events on Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments. There's the 24 elders. I mean, they knew something about fashion. Uh, It's even depicted what they've got here, dressed in white with golden crowns upon their heads. There's lamps blazing. They're not just flickering. Blazing away before the throne. And then it says... There's a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Why was that there? I think it was there to reflect, to magnify the one who is there on the throne. Then, of course, the four living creatures. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like an ox. The second was like a lion. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was a flying eagle. Each one of them... Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. What we see there, the worship of heaven is Trinitarian. Worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The rhythm of their worship, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come elevating, glorifying the Trinity. It says there in verse 9 that whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne. They worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before him. And what we see here is this, this continual movement and rhythm of worship, magnifying the one who sits on the throne, the living creatures, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then straight after them, the 24 elders fall down before him and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created. So this is the picture that John sees, the revelation of heaven that he is given. The throne shining, this rainbow 
the 24 elders dressed in white, golden crowns upon their heads. I mean, that is serious bling. The treasure of heaven, lamps blazing, full of light. There's lightning, there's thunder, the sea of glass, clear as crystal. It's dazzling, it's radiant. What a picture. Amazing, completely stunning. There's this place that Emily and I have been, and we love to go on holiday. And pretty much every year, we've been there for about five or six years. Every year we get there, and we've got the boys in the back of the car, and she says, look, boys, it is stunning. And the boys kind of go, it's stunning, you know, we get it. But it is, it's stunning, but that is nothing compared to what we see here in the worship of heaven. The revelation that we're given is completely, it's captivating, it's creative, it's colorful. There's this cacophony of sound. You go on in Revelation 5. We read there, it talks about thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing and worshiping. It says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth. Creatures in heaven, they're the birds. Creatures on earth, that's the rhinos and the elephants and the giraffes and us. And on the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This worship, captivating, creative, colorful, continual, ceaseless, day and night, 24-7. And it may have escaped your attention that this worship of heaven is going on right now. This is taking place right now. When we come together to worship, we don't actually need to get anything started. Ben and Amy and the team, they don't need to crank us up because what we need is a spiritual revelation of what's already taking place in heaven. And when you're on your own in devotion, worshiping Jesus you just need a revelation of what's already going on in heaven. And we're called to join in that song. And all of this is amazing. But all that we see here really is the warm-up act. It's the support group. It's the prelude for the star of the show. Everything, the rainbow, the 24 elders, the living creatures, the thunder, the lightning, the whole shebang. It's all for him. We read in chapter 5, 1 to 5, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. This is it. This is where the curtain sort of comes down. And the star of the show, the champion, the number one seed of heaven comes forth. See the lion 
of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. You see, all of this show, all of this creativity, all of this cacophony, all of the drama was about him. Everything in heaven points to him. It's all about Jesus. What's the point? What do we receive from that? All creativity, all beauty, all art, all music, all science, all literature, all medicine, all technology, all sporting excellence, all lit, uh, architecture, everything, all of creation points to the one who is glorious. The whole of creation is a reflection of his glory. But what do we do? We get distracted by those things. And we take our eyes off of the one who is glorious. And as, as soon as any of that creativity, any of that creation gets in the way or takes center stage, it becomes an idol for us. That's always been the battle. That's always been the challenge for the people of God. Will they worship the one true God, Yahweh, or will they set up other idols? You see, it's not whether we worship, but the question is who will we worship? Will we put him central in our lives? Everything points to Jesus. I love this painting uh, by the 17th century artist, Ottavio Vanini. And this is a picture kind of depicting the Apostle John. And he's pointing to Jesus. He's saying it's all about him. Our worship, it's to him, it's for him, and it's about him. Some of you may have read uh, some of Tozer, amazing preacher in Canada. I love what he says here. He says, I mean it when I say that I would rather worship God than do anything else. You may reply, well, if you worship God, you do nothing else. But the beautiful part of worship is that it prepares you and enables you to zero in on the important things that must be done for God. Practically every great deed done in the church of Christ, all the way back to the Apostle Paul, was done by people blazing with the radiant worship of their God. A survey of church history will prove that it was those who were the yearning worshippers who also became the great workers. Those great saints whose hymns we so tenderly sing were active in their faith to the point that we must wonder how they ever did it all. The great hospitals have grown out of the hearts of worshipping men and women. Our institutions grew out of the hearts of Christian and compassionate men and women. We should say, too, that wherever the church has come out of her lethargy, rising from her sleep and into the tides of revival and spiritual renewal, always the worshippers have been behind it. We will be making a mistake if we just stand back and say, but if we give ourselves to worship, no one will do anything. On the contrary, if we give ourselves to God's call to worship, everyone will do more than he or she is doing now. Only what he or she does will have eternal significance and meaning 
it will have the quality of eternity in it. He's the point. He's the center. He's the focus of our worship. And what does that look like? What does that mean for us day by day in our nine to five, season by season, particularly as we look at our world, so many things going on at this time. And I think the key thing I want to bring today is as a church, as individuals, we want to let the throne set the tone. Let the throne set the tone. So often in my life, I find it, I let the phone set the tone. I wake up in the morning and it's BBC News app, social media platforms. Slightly grumpy about the weather not being quite as I'd like it to be. The email. But I want to let the throne set the tone. I want to make Jesus central in my life. I want the focus to be all about him. And in our worship, we want to be captivated by him. Our worship should be colorful. It should be creative. It should be this cacophony of sound. There should be brilliance to elevate and magnify the one who has come for each one of us. And of course, worship is more than the singing of songs. But we worship in song when we're the church gathered. We serve as the church scattered. And we gather around Jesus to bring glory to God. And music, of course, is a big part of that. I love what Jack Hayford says in his book, Worship His Majesty. He writes, worship may be possible without song, but nothing contributes more to its beauty, majesty, dignity, and nobility, or to its tenderness and intimacy. The Greek word used for worship in the New Testament 66 times is proskunio. It actually means to come towards to kiss. But it's not the kiss of two equals. The picture that's given is like, like of a dog licking its master's hand. There's intimacy, but there's also reverence. You see, our worship, when we gather together, it's not the warm-up for the sermon. It shouldn't be a part of our service that we, we take or leave, that we feel underprepared for, that we can arrive to church and think, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just the worship. I can creep in at the back. The priority of heaven should be our priority as a church. Worship is a dramatic encounter with the power and the presence of God. It's not a passive and comforting moment of education and encouragement. And I think that for me, for us, we need to reawaken again the wonder of worship. Tozer again says, to worship is to feel in the heart. And we can't disconnect our worship from our emotions. Like in any relationship, what we feel, our emotions are so, so important. But occasionally those feelings can go off the boil. Things can get a little bit stale. We can find ourselves going through the motions. When Emily and I first started dating, we spent so much time on the phone to one another. We would buy gifts for one another. We would spend time saying intimate things to one another. We wanted to be together. 
now 20... <laughs> going live, yeah. 23 years into our marriage, there are one or two occasions where we're not spending quite as much time on the phone to one another. We've had to work at our relationship, and it's the same in our relationship with God. That love, that intimacy, it needs fanning into flame again. And I want to say to us, with the pandemic that's happened, with all that's taking place in our world, where are we at in our love for Jesus? To worship is to feel love for Jesus. I find myself so often, sometimes if I'm really, really honest, coming away from church too, most days, I need to fall in love with Jesus again. I need to fall in love with his word again. I need to fall in love with his people, the community of the church again. Because it's so easy for it to slip Earlier on in Revelation, the angel speaks to the church in Ephesus and says, you've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, you've not grown weary, but I hold this against you, you've forsaken your first love. He says, repent and do the things that you did at first. That's what we need to do in relationships, isn't it? A bunch of flowers, a date night, a reminder that kind words go a long way. Suddenly the relationship is ignited and it flourishes. What does that look like to rediscover the importance of wonder, love in our worship? Gathering together, love, Psalm 22 verse 3 says, it says, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. When we gather together, his presence is here. That spiritual dynamic of encounter with him. And I think we need to cultivate a holy expectation, being expectant of what God might do in our midst when the presence of God is there. Like John today, we need a fresh revelation of heaven, a fresh vision of who he is, what he's done for us, to fall in love with him again. That story in the New Testament when the woman comes and breaks open the alabaster jar. Jesus says, to those who've been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven little, love little. Let's take time to remind ourselves again of all that he's done for us. He's died for us on the cross, forgiven us, set us free, given us new and eternal life. May we be a church that are falling in love with Jesus more and more. May we be a church that worships him in spirit and in truth. May we be a church that is reawakened in wonder for who he is. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.